Welcome back to another episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast, where we merge the worlds of video games and sports, two very unlikely worlds. And, you know, as Power Man 5000 once put it, we're putting and colliding those worlds. As always, I'm Jerry Castillo, and with me tonight is... A acquaintance of Mr. Castillo, uh, Mr. Daniel Quinn. And an acquaintance of Mr. Castillo, Jarrell Sales. And with everything going on, I'd like my acquaintances to talk a little bit about, you know, how their week has been, because it's been kind of one of those things where we don't really know where to turn during these weird times, and there seems to be just general unrest and uneasiness, so... You guys have the floor, just, you know, talk about how you guys are feeling, just let it out there. Personally, in my short lifetime, I have never seen the country at this much unrest. Frankly, this is the craziest I have ever seen the country in. And frankly, I just want to say that it's clear that certain communities in this country have been oppressed for a long time. And I just want to say that is that is not okay and it should never be okay in the near future. I just want people to understand that you need to hear these communities. And I I plead with all of you to listen. Yes, it's a very tough, anxious, stressful, crazy, hectic week in mindset for the African-American community. I'm speaking because I'm a part of the African-American community. So, yeah, it's just tough. It's difficult because people handle it differently. And it's a lot of madness that's going on in, in conjunction with the whole uh, Black Lives Matter movement. So all of that just piles, piles up and hoping for the best and hoping for a change. To put everything into context, we're, I'm just going to address the elephant in the room. Everyone has been talking about the George Floyd murder. And there's not really any way to to say this in a nice way, I suppose, but it's just essentially the whole world has noticed what is going on in the United States. And there's just civil unrest in all 50 states, plus I think 18 countries around the world. And there have been massive movements to address this. I don't know if it's fair to say, but would you guys agree if I call it systematic racism? Personally, absolutely agreed. And there needs to be big reform in this country, personally. I agree. Yeah, and that's just one of those things that we, as a society, we're all from a minority group here, and we all acknowledge what is going on around us. But for some people in the United States, that reality isn't a reality to them because they feel that the Black Lives Matter movement isn't important. And that's the thing, these kind of movements are very important because it gives voice to those who don't have the voice. And these kind of movements help make changes in ways that will be far reaching. It's sad to see that much of America, well, I wouldn't say much, but some parts of America have fallen into disarray because there are actually people who are disputing and arguing the validity and, in general, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. They are just fighting against it, and I just don't quite understand that. And I don't know about you guys, but it just baffles me that this is still something we're talking about in 2020. Personally, I don't really get it either, Jared. I mean, the video is out there. A lot of what has happened in very much the last 10 years, it's on video. It's fact now. And yeah, I, I agree. Why are we debating about this? Because it's we've seen the footage. It happened. I don't know how, what more to say. Yeah, it happened. It happens. It's been past this the, the last 10 years. I know you're kind of highlighting that because it's been more uh, visual on social media and whatnot. People are recording it. It's just it's crazy to see the lack of understanding and ignorance that goes into it. You're, there's it's complete murder like how you said it, it's, it's, there's no uh, way way around it. And, and the lack of justice that goes into kind of correcting this issue is it's baffling. Like you said, it's really crazy to kind of put your head, head around it. And the people that I feel that are of understanding the movement are thinking like, hey, if me, a regular civilian, were, were to commit murder, God forbid, there's going to be justice upon me. You're going you're, you're gonna to want to see me in jail. You wanna, you're going to want to see me uh, get punishment. And to see that they can go on and, and kill black people without malice, without any punishment, 
is is crazy. And to me, if people see that and they they can't feel some type of way from seeing somebody die for the color of their skin, they're crazy in my opinion. It's a lot of hate, a lot of hate, and a lot of not trying to understand, which is very difficult because I was brought up on love and and trying to understand people. I went to school for sociology to understand different ethnicities, uh, races. I I coach kids. I I'm a college advisor with different ethnicities. So so me, that's very confusing to me. To me and as as well as representing the black community, so it's really tough to kind of think about. And when we sit here and like overanalyze it, you can really get mentally distraught. So. Yeah, and and the fact that, you know, we're, again, we're talking about this in 2020, and the fact that these things, like you said, God forbid one of us does something really, really horrible, we would be in jail within a fortnight, right? Yeah, I mean, and yet these people can get away with it and just live completely normal lives. And honestly, we don't even have to do the most extreme act, which is to take somebody else's life. And I'm saying we, as in as in black people, I'm speaking for my community. We don't have to do the most extreme act to be put into jail. Like you said, it's systematic racism. And this the form of slavery has transformed into killing black people and, and throwing them in jail. So that's crazy. And like you said, we're in 2020. And shit, sorry for cussing, but still the same. It's interesting because had the 17-year-old girl, if she had not posted that anywhere, nothing would have happened. It would have been just a regular you know, day in the office for these, like, four police officers, which, you know, that in and of itself already shows how broken the system is. I don't know if you heard, but Breonna Taylor, she was in her house, she was asleep, and I think it was Louisville police just barged into her house and shot her under the false pretense that she was, she was aligned with these drug dealers who lived 10 miles away. Things like this is just baffling to me, and I can only imagine what the african-american community is feeling because i am an asian-american male even though i am not white i'm not anything i have you know a sort of privilege and agreed i mean i don't know about all of y'all but i mean i kind of studied it in in college i mean it's called the model minority myth and i've i've acknowledged yeah in comparison to other minorities i am privileged i feel like i have to take responsibility for it yeah, and that's kind of what we're doing here, right? We're taking our privilege and letting people know that these type of things, we understand and we sympathize and we are there to help and we are doing whatever we can to help because these things, if it affects one group, it affects every group. Agreed. Honestly, the black community has a voice. Everyone has a voice. It's just our voice isn't being understood. Our voice isn't taken seriously like you guys pointed on earlier. So all it, uniting as we, we have been doing and, and uh, speaking from the African-American community, I'm, I'm seeing it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on with social, social media and you've seen negative stuff, positive stuff. But to see people come and unite and, and protest, it's time to start seeing our leaders use this to, to make a change, make it happen. Because now we're, we're seeing all this protest, but now we need to see a change. Like I read a tweet from Ice Cube that said we like we moved like one mile and now we got 300 miles to go. Like this is just a small step. This this social media black squares and protests is just a small step. This is only the beginning. And and it's crazy to think about that. We're in 2020 and uh, how many years of slavery and how many years of racism. And this is still only the fucking beginning. <laughs> I mean, all I can like follow up on Drell is like I, I encourage everyone and out there everyone out there to take their vote seriously because we can you know we can protest all we want nothing is going to change unless we do it at the ballot box and we we change the system from from with from within so like that's like that's what i like want to say that's it's the most important like our politicians that represent us they make the laws so it's our duty as citizens to express our voice through the vote so we can pick the politicians that represent us uh, to the to the way we want we want them to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you guys want to add anything else? Black Lives Matter. Say their names. George Floyd. Black Lives Matter. They do matter. Yeah. And with that being said, there's something I noticed right with everything going on with the George Floyd murder and. I don't know if you guys know, but there are 123 North American teams in the the sphere of sports, right? And 
I've noticed that I was reading this up on Axios that only 74 out of the 123 sports have made a statement regarding this. And, you know, the NBA has 26 teams, NHL had 23 teams, the NFL 15, and the MLB 10 teams speak out about the George Floyd murder. And it's interesting because when you come to think of it, right, sports is a way to bring people together. It's one of those ways that we come together regardless of who you are, regardless of your background, and we come together and enjoy sports for an hour, two hours, maybe three hours, or four or five, depending on if you're watching baseball. But it's interesting that going through all of these things, only four teams in the NBA haven't spoken up about the murder, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Hawks, and the Spurs. I want to get your take on this real quick. What do you guys think about James Dolan telling his uh, his employees, basically, quote unquote, we are not more qualified than anyone else to offer our opinion. And according to many sources, players and generally people around the Knicks are furious. And to give you some context, Dolan supported the president and donated in 2016 and donated again to get him reelected. So do you guys think that those two things might have been one and the same? Or do you think that he's just, well, they're just being the Knicks? <laughs> I don't know how to fully express this, but you got to remember the dichotomy of a lot of these, of all these like sports owners. You got to remember, all, most of these sports owners are white. And a lot of them, including, I, I'm very aware that, that all these owners tend to lean right of the political spectrum. And they tend to support, they tend to support um, racist policies. There, I I just said it. Uh, you know that policies that are, that are normally that normally stack up against minorities and and the poor. I'm fully aware that people like Dan Gilbert. I'm I'm very well. Dan Gilbert was a Trump supporter, so like, it's not really surprising because a lot of these owners, they come from that privileged and that upper class upbringing, and thus they kind of do come from that culture. If you if you kind of like get what I mean, it, it's not really shocking to me that a guy like James Dolan would kind of back down from speaking up. I agree with you. And in some ways, him his quote that Jared uh, stated is him speaking up, but not in a positive manner. I mean, I understand that uh, certain people don't feel as if they're qualified to share on the topic because they don't have the education, they don't have the experience towards the topic. Yet there's ways, especially for people in, of high status, to say something that doesn't, make your whole organization feel some type of way towards you. He could have said something that su- supported the situation of uh, George Floyd get Floyd getting murdered. You have a whole organization, not a whole organization, but majority of your players that you spend money on are of African-American descent. So they, they, they're heavily affected. So as you being the leader of this organization and, and bringing in black uh, fans, black coaches, black players – that that was your opportunity to to shed light on it. That's your platform. That's your way of acknowledging what's going on, acknowledging the elephant in the room instead of ignoring it. Because in my opinion, that statement is ignoring it. Not to mention, like I mean, a lot of uh, the NBA's fan base is, and yeah, it's it's African American, and I I absolutely agree with you, Drell. Like this was the Knicks' opportunity to to, to send a message to their fans that we support you and and we support the cause you're trying to fight for. Yeah, and I just want to touch on something that Jarrell said about leadership and how this wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but Coach Popovich actually, or he had a conversation with Dave Searin, the sports editor of The Nation, and there was a few things that I took away from that, and I just want to get you guys' thoughts on these quotes, if you don't mind. So Coach Pop in the article says that, quote, the thing that strikes me is that we've, we all see this police violence and racism, and we've seen it all before, but nothing changes. That's why these protests have been so explosive. But without leadership and an understanding of what the problem is, there will never be change. And white Americans have avoided reckoning with this problem forever because it's, it's been our privilege to be able to avoid it. And then he goes on to say, the system has to change. I'll do whatever I can to do to help because that's what leaders do. 
And I just want to get your guys' thoughts on Coach Popovich's his words. I kind of – I actually, I really agree with his statement. I mean, at the end of the day, the reason why we have these incidents is because the structure allows it for this to happen. I mean, those cops in, in Minneapolis who, who, who murdered George Floyd, it, it was the system that trained him to be this way, to be that aggressive. Look at the character Batman. Yes, he, he punches criminals and he, he stores, in, stores them away in Arkham, yet it keeps happening. You know why? Because the system allows for these types of people to keep, to keep reappearing. It's kind of the situation like this. So I, I kind of said this earlier. Real change is done at the ballot box. So we can, again, you know, elect politicians that properly represent the people that don't have a voice. So, so they eventually get the rights they deserve. And just to piggyback on two points. One, the leadership. Honestly, earlier I was playing 2K and me and my mom had some discussions about the protest. And and um, she was talking to me about how the media was showcasing protest and they weren't organized. Like they were just walking around. She said they looked like they weren't organized. So I was like, tell, like she was bringing up a point that they need some type of leadership. And, and Daniel said to touch up on that, the leadership needs to come in with us voting and in the ballots. And it also needs to be those those people that we need to look towards like back in the 60s with like Martha Luther King Jr. Just to, exactly. Just to like that. We need those type of people that are willing. And I know it's a scary thing to do because when we look at these leaders that put their face on top of these movements and push for the change, when we look back at it, what happened to them? They all get murdered. And it's crazy to think about it. But we, we need we need not one person to look at, but multiple leaders, a group of leaders. And I know that Black Lives Matter is a movement of leaders, but we need those faces to come out as well because we're pushing for it and we need them to take control of this so this movement so it's more organized and more critical. Also, to piggyback off of what Daniel said, and I thought that was a good analogy with the Batman, it's crazy to think about like how we look at superheroes, right? And especially in the DC universe, you, you see that they fight the most crazy, uh, lethal villains, yet do they kill? No, they don't. Batman does not kill. He might be the darkest dude. He might almost semi-kill you, but his first thought is to make sure you're incapable of doing what you need to do. And if we look quote unquote, if we think our, 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 our police officers are supposed to be superheroes to our rescue, those those are supposed to be the model, model citizens, right? The people that are supposed to make sure everything is good to go. And if, if we compare them to our superheroes that we see on DC, it's it's not a good comparison because they're they're not even behaving as superheroes. The, taking people's lives is not a superhero trait to me. It makes the dichotomy that much more apparent because there are so many different things that people can do, especially these police officers, that, you know, they are our quote-unquote superheroes. We look to them for support, and we look to them to guide us in times of trouble. But if we can't even trust them, what do we do? Who do we turn to? And I think that's where the role of athletes come in, and that's where, you know, athletes like LeBron James and Stephen Curry, because Stephen Curry was out marching with people in Oakland, in the Bay Area, and there were videos of him and other Golden State Warriors going around and just showing their support and just doing what they can to keep the movement going and to spread awareness to the movement. And one of those things that I noticed during this time was while that was happening, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Drew Brees on Twitter and everywhere else, according to social media, he said that he will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the U.S., or disrespecting the United States as a whole when it came to talking about players kneeling during the anthem. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. Do you think that would have been a right thing to say, or do you think that would have been better left unsaid? Drew Brees is wrong on every level. People need to realize this country this country as a whole was built on the notion of protest. Look at look at how the nation this nation began, the Boston Tea Party. And then you go to the eighteen hundreds and on the move the movement to abolish slavery. And then you go to the 1960s, the civil rights movement, and, in, and until like present day, Occupy Wall Street. This protest is as American as apple pie. And to say that, Drew Brees is actually doing the most un-American thing ever by, by you know, he's essentially criticizing Colin, Ka- Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick did the most American thing ever by protesting because protesting 
of the history of the United States of America. Protest is inherently American. And to criticize or try to take away his right to protest, Drew Brees is essentially doing the most un-American thing any person can do. And this is just a prime example of of the lack of understanding and ignorance of the complexity of the situation. Uh, LeBron James responded to Drew Brees actually on Twitter. I'm going to read what he quote what he tweeted. So he he said, "quote You literally still don't understand why Cap was on one knee. Has absolutely nothing to do with the disrespect of America and our soldiers, men and women who keep our land free." End quote. So Drew Brees is basically, like I said, the prime example of a lot of what's wrong with our system, a lot what's wrong, what's wrong with our society, the lack of understanding. Look how they just spin that situation. Colin Kaepernick is kneeling. That, do you know what that's telling me? That's telling me when this was going on back back when Colin Kaepernick was in the NFL, you wasn't understanding a, a, a thing. <laughs> you weren't you weren't sitting there listening to what he was fighting for and the, what community he was speaking for as being a leader and you weren't seeing as if you guys were on the same level you guys play the same position you guys have a similar status as far as a celebrity as far as a, a, an athlete and you couldn't even understand understand what he was fighting for you weren't listening you that's 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 baffling to me that's crazy because in my mind what i'm seeing is you seeing the skin and you was like oh fuck it. What are you talking about? I understand people got their own their beliefs. It's crazy to think about it. Like I, I often think of it as in I'm not I'm not trying to get too deep, but I think of it as like a religious a religion thing. Let's say that you talk to a person because okay, let's say for Christianity you want to you want to witness to people and and try to convert them to Christians, right? That's the idea. But think about how difficult it is to change someone's mindset with something that they believed already. If somebody's an atheist, it's going to be hella hard for me to try to convince them to believe in God. If I believe in God, it's going to be hella hard for you to convince me that to not believe in God. That's, I think, the most difficult thing to do, to change somebody's mindset on something such as that. But to to change somebody's mindset on to understand and and think of, and and I think Drew Brees considers him a a, a religious man. Let me know if I'm wrong. But Something as far as like this, uh, a situation where like your your teammates, your number one wide receiver, Michael Thomas, is black and you say some shit like this, it's really showcasing that that understanding. And it, it is not it's not up to like a religious thing where like I have to completely change your mindset. It should just be like a, a human thing. Do you not see what's going on? And you're talking about disrespecting your fucking country <laughs> that's disrespecting black people. Majority of your teammates is black, bruh. Jesus. That's wild. Drew Brees done fucked up big time. And we thought what we thought other quarterbacks were more ignorant than he was. And he just this most ignorant right there in New Orleans. How many black people in New Orleans? They about to man, Drew Brees. That's that's wild. a majority African American population. I, I could be wrong, but like I, I have a hunch that it it is. I do too. It's crazy. Yeah. And to go off on that point, Aaron Rodgers actually said, quote, A few years ago, we were criticized for locking arms in solidarity before the game. It has never been about an anthem or a flag. Not then, not now. Listen with an open heart. Let's educate ourselves and then turn word and thought into action. End quote. Plot the man's comments. Just gained a new type of respect for him right there. It's disappointing. You know, these people have such a wide reach and their reach is so far far extended to all areas of the united states and yet they use it to say something so incredibly uneducated that it just makes everything it makes him look bad more than anything it makes him look really really bad and i want to get you guys take on this how do you think he'll get you know received no pun intended once the game once the nfl comes back I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's tension in that locker room, considering that a lot of his teammates are, are African-American. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. G? I would agree, but I just feel like a lot of the issues that been that has happened in the NFL kind of just got brushed over. Let's think about the, the Colin Kaepernick kneeling during the National Anthem. The 49ers blackballed him, and then they're going to say Black Lives Matter on Twitter? Like, really? <laughs> you guys just blackballed somebody that was standing up for something and all of a sudden it's like hypocritical so you gotta remember the fan base and the owners of the nfl they they come from that culture they're white they're 
conservative, they those issues they don't it makes those people uncomfortable. And the NFL sports like NF you know NFL NASCAR to a, a little bit Major League Baseball, there's certain there's restricted room to talk about those issues in those leagues. That's the issue. Y'all got to they got to start becoming uncomfortable. It's a it's uncomfortable to be black. <laughs> So why is it it's uncomfortable to talk about it? I mean, and in all honesty, if I'm I'm playing for this organization, I'm uncomfortable. I'm already uncomfortable because I can go out for a jog and die. I can get put on my car and and have somebody kneel on my neck and die. So okay, we're uncomfortable. Motherfucker, it's time for y'all to be uncomfortable and make a change. The problem I see with that drill is that these people. The problem with these people is that they don't even want to talk about it. It's just like once you try to start a conversation, they shut you off. It, it's it's difficult when you're trying to. It's a it's a hard situation. It yeah. absolutely is. Yeah, and you guys talk about how difficult the situation is, and how essentially how we have to be uncomfortable to to face these these topics because it is uncomfortable to talk about for some people, and that's why we got to give props to Adam Silver because he sent out an internal memo a few days ago regarding the murders of unarmed black people. And it said, quote, racism, police brutality, and racial injustice remain part of our everyday life in America and cannot be ignored. And it went on to say, the NBA will work hand in hand to create programs and build partnerships in every NBA community to address racial inequality and bring people together, according to Yahoo Sports. It's interesting because along with that, the NBA Coaches Association actually created a committee on racial injustice and reform, which includes Coach Pop, Steve Kerr, Doc Rivers, Lloyd Pierce, the head coach of the Atlanta Hawks, David Fisdale, Stan Van Gundy, J.B. Bickerstaff, and Quinn Snyder. So what do you guys think about the NBA and the NBA Coaches Association taking that extra step to address these type of uncomfortable topics? Personally, this is why I think Adam Silver is arguably, in my opinion, the best commissioner in all sports. Yes, Adam Silver is a good businessman, but what sets him apart from others is that he com- he's completely in touch with the audience that watches his league. Compare it to Rob Manfred, Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman. Like, all those men seem out of touch with their fans. But Silver, on the other hand, is ultimately ultra-conscious of who's watching his product. And this... To me, I mean, it's a great cause in itself, but this to me like shows like why he is, at the end of the day, he is indeed the best commissioner in all sports. Absolutely. Any situation that comes in and affects the league entirely, he makes note of it. It's, it's a family. It's a community. Whenever a, a former coach dies, player dies, they make it a big deal, as it should be. You see with Kobe, we have the Kobe patches on the jerseys. Uh, Flip Saunders, we have the... Uh, I forgot what they put, but they put something on the jersey. Was it a black mark? Something like that. So those are those are all instances of you taking your family seriously. Just like when somebody dies in the family, we all come together. And it, it sucks to always have to be about death, but I agree with you, Daniel. He, he is one of the best commissioners. He listens to his family. He's cautious of his family. That's why he shut the league down initially. And like I said in the last podcast, domino effect. So... To be cautious and be understanding and be willing to connect and unite is what we need. And then being able to come up with a, a leader, to, just to use the term, that committee is going to be the leader of the NBA. It's awesome. We, that's what we need. You, we need to spread spread the word on it, make it be known, be conscious of it, and, and unite and treat each other as a family. And you know what else is awesome? Piggybacking off that. So what? The NBA, it's coming back. Let's just switch the topics here for a sec. Something, something a little bit more lighthearted. We found out today that the NBA is coming back from July 31st to October 12th. And there's a lot of things to talk about regarding this. So I'm just going to run through it. Bear with me. And if you guys want me to repeat anything, just let me know. All right. You guys ready? Yes. I'm ready. I have my thoughts. All right. The, they thought about starting the, the season around July 31st with 22 teams. And on Thursday, which if you are listening to this, was yesterday, whatever day that is, 
the NBA and its board of governors will discuss a plan to resume the season in Orlando, and it's supposed to, it's expected to overwhelmingly pass, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, right? Wojbombs. Mm-hmm. And so this is the breakdown. Each of the 22 teams, 13 in the West and 9 in the East, will play eight regular season games in Orlando for seeding purposes for the playoffs. It would be the best 16 teams and then six additional teams. There would be a play-in tournament for the eighth seed in both conferences. Here's where it gets a little bit more interesting. If the ninth seed is more than four games behind the eighth seed, the eighth seed earns that spot, right? If the ninth seed is four or fewer games behind, then the teams will enter a play-in tournament. That is double elimination for the eighth seed and single elimination for the ninth. That's according to Sham Sharania of The Athletic. Now, here's where it gets a little bit more interesting. The teams play their next eight games, and if the team plays the Hawks, Bulls, or Pistons, it moves on to the next game on the schedule, according to Yahoo Sports. So, with all that being said, the NBA is back, and what do you guys think? First off, I want to get this off my chest. I'm happy basketball is back, but I'm going to be honest with all y'all. I'm not a big fan of this format. <laughs> Reason being, let's be honest, the NBA regular season is it's lesser of importance than its NFL and MLB counterparts. So I'm not I, I'm just like I'm just not a fan. Like we should I think the league should head straight into the playoffs because historically that's where the NBA is. And plus to play regular season games now, I think it's too light. And plus I think this restarted season, it takes way too long. You gotta remember, it goes from July 31st to the latest of October 12th. That's long, okay? The league will have no choice but to push the date, the start date of next season. Like, there's been talk of years now of moving the league to December, but even then, even with this format, that's only two months of rest. That's that's not a lot of rest for these players or much of an offseason. Like, secondly, I think the play-in tournament type of thing is, frankly, bull****. I think... There should not be any sugarcoating with it. You're either in or out of the playoffs. You know, some fans hate the World Cup, you know, idea, but I love it. It takes it takes the bubble teams and it clues them in the playoffs so that those bubble teams get treated fairly. And then there's there's actually the World Cup type of format. Honestly, in my opinion, creates something like NBA fans. Well, a lot of sports fans in general have been complaining about the NBA like for years now, and that's parody. Like the World Cup type of format would have made it uh, like a possibility for Milwaukee to get eliminated in the first round. Upsets don't happen in basketball. And I think the 20 team format would have let that type of instance happen. But I kind of rest my case. I think this format's okay. It's just like, there's some things I just really don't like about it, especially the bull playing format. Okay. What about you, G? Um, I'm excited to see basketball come back regardless. I think this format is confusing as fuck. It's too many situationships going on here, in my opinion. I kind of now agree a little bit with Daniel as far as the bubble format. I, I still feel like, are these regular season games going to be meaningless for some teams? Like, are they still going to be screwed? Um, I mean, the Lakers so, are solid. I mean, I'm not sure, but I think the Lakers are safely in first place, if I remember. So for the most part, these eight games, right, they're mainly for the bottom tier seeds because... If you look at the Western Conference, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, the Spurs had 27 wins and the Grizzlies had 31. And so in this situation, you could see the Spurs potentially leapfrogging all those other teams to get into the eighth seed. And you could see them potentially upsetting one of either the Lakers or another team. Conversely, on the East Coast, you got the Washington Wizards as essentially the only team so I, they don't I, I don't to... I don't see the Wizards making it at all. I think they're too far back from Orlando. Right. And so with all this being said, I think it's just to see which teams are able to make it because they have to give it some sort of like fairness. Yeah, right? They got to give those other teams a shot to make it to the to the playoffs because like we said last week, Damian Lillard, if he didn't get a fair shot, he was just not going to play. So I guess that's their way of addressing those issues that all those I, I, I just think have. I just think it's too late. I mean, it's too late in the calendar to have eight additional regular season games. NBA has always been about the playoffs. 
why not just take those bubble teams and include them in a tournament style format? I think also you have to take into account. I, personally, I don't know the answer to that question. It's a, it's way above my pay grade. But personally, I think you also have to take into account the revenue that they would get from TV, right? Because we haven't had legitimate sports, quote unquote, legitimate sports in, I don't know, two, three months at this point. And so if the NBA were to come back as one of the the tenets of one of the pillars of American sports, while MLB is still struggling to figure out what they want to do, imagine how much TV revenue they would get from everyone watching the NBA at the same time. I'm assuming that's billions right there. So maybe that's why they want to do the additional eight games. Also, to get get their feet back wet. I mean, they haven't been playing competitive basketball for, like you said, two, three months. And it nothing replaces a real game. So if they were to jump right into the playoffs, I don't think we would get the best product possible. That's why they're trying to do this regular season. I feel, I feel like those eight games are to one, highlight the fairness, and two, to serve like as a preseason to get them warmed up. Yeah, I'm not because I agree with it. It's just that's the points. Yeah, and to get to go off of that, Chris Paul a few months ago he said that he would typically like to give the players at least three weeks to come back. So we're in early June. You have to get everything ratified by Thursday, and they get everything sorted out. If they get started next week or the week after, that gives them about three weeks to get everything sorted out. It's three weeks and change to get preseason type of workout in training camp type of workout in and so i'm all for this actually i mean i think the format will turn out okay i just think there could have been a better format used at the end yeah but at the end of the day it's not up to us and as we've all seen this is the best we're going to get so i'm totally fine with it because like i mentioned earlier the mlb is still trying to figure out what they want to do because for whatever reason they just can't get anything going and Daniel, you you told us in like prior to recording was that you believe that there will be no 2020 MLB season simply because the fact that the first of all the players and the owners can't seem to agree on anything. And this report that came out today that the you know the league has rejected the players association's association's idea of a 114 regular season that shows me like how far the disagreement has come. I think the the, the most damning evidence is that. There was a report, I think, believe like three days ago by, it came out from ESPN's Buster Oni. He reported that a core group of MLB owners are okay canceling the season because, because you know, COVID-19 costs and, you know, they want they frankly want to save money. It, that just tells me the owners just, they just don't want it as much. And, and that's like, unlike their, you know, NFL and especially their NBA and MLS counterparts, they all want to have a conversation. But here in Major League Baseball, there's a there's I feel like there's a small reluctance to have one. So I think that's why I say with my gut, I just have a you know a sneaking feeling that th- this 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 season's like donezo. It's it's not gonna happen. It it does happen. It's it's a terrible thing for baseball. I think the the outcome of this because baseball has been struggling the last ten to fifteen years. It never quite recovered from 1994. So if it happens again. Boy, I I mean, nineteen ninety four was that was at least at least half the season was was played. I mean, like to have no season at all, man. It's it's gonna be nineteen ninety four, but on steroids, Jared. Like, I just want to ask you, Jared. Like, how do you view the situation yourself? Personally, I feel like it's very unfair to the fans and to the players because they're put in this position where they want to get some sort of compensation because they're the ones that are putting their lives on the line, right? We mentioned this last week that these players are putting their lives on the line for our entertainment and for the owners to make money. And the fact that the owners are so adamant in just seeing the other side, what the players are going through, it makes it somewhat jarring to me because at some point you have to take the humanity into account. Yeah, I understand it's a business, but at the same time, you have to recognize that you're playing with people's lives here. People are going to get hurt. People are going to get this virus. And whether or not you want to take the blame for that, it's it's entirely up to you. But at the same time, you have to recognize that these people, they are your money makers. They are the ones that are, again, putting their 
lives on the line just so you can sit in a in an iron throne full of money and with MLB saying that they're willing to to cut the season to 50 games if need be I just don't understand that it doesn't make a ton of sense to me and it's not the most tone it just is the wrong move at this particular time when people are struggling when there's so much going on in the United States it seems like the owners their stance on how important the money is is so minor compared to everything else and i just don't quite understand it at all do you think if this happens do you think this this situation becomes worse than 1994 because if baseball doesn't get their you know get their together i mean that's really embarrassing you're talking about the sport with like the most distancing and least likely to get sick i mean i just want to ask you is this going to be worse than 1994 i would assume so yeah i mean i'm Admittedly, I wasn't alive in 1994. I was but a mere thought at that point. But there are legions of fans that are just sick and tired of seeing this dispute rage on for months, it seems, that players want X. And then the owners counteroffer with Y, but they can't get to the Z. They can't work together to get to the end point, which doesn't make a ton of sense because I would assume the players and the owners both love the game of baseball, but they're doing it irreparable harm if they keep this pace. It doesn't make sense to me why they just can't, at least on the owner's side, they can't sympathize with what the players are going through, right? We've seen it with the minor leaguers. We've seen it with all these different MLB players, these pitchers that are making tons of money. They're actually giving back to the minor leaguers in cases that are more than what the actual organization was giving them so i don't see that divide i don't see why that divide exists especially when you're a multi-billion dollar organization i mean personally i don't think the owners really care about baseball i mean evidence has shown yeah it's a it's definitely a complicated situation so do you guys think they should just cut the season instead i mean i mean if if i'm like if i'm a player like i want to play but the way it's it's going, I mean, it's inevitable. I think I think the season's toast. No yeah. one wants to compromise. No one. Yeah, and I agree with Daniel. I mean, if I was if I'm a player, if I'm a pitcher for the Dodgers, I definitely want to play because I'm playing what I I'm doing what I want to do. And the fact that they can't find this middle ground, they can't find an equal footing in all of this makes it very discouraging and I've read around that if something like this were to happen, if they were to just to outright cancel the season, like I said, it'll it'll do re- irreparable harm to to MLB, and they will lose legions of fans because the fans will see it as them bickering over money while the world is suffering through a virus and human rights violations. I mean, I think this is a golden opportunity for baseball. Like baseball, you know, it's considered America's pastime, and like I think baseball would kind of be like the ultimate PR weapon to use to, you know, get American spirits up, bring back, you know, the game of baseball. Like, as it was said in Field of Dreams, baseball reminds us what was good and what could be again. And to have this PR dispute, and if it lands in that situation where there's no season, that's bad. That's very bad for the sport. And the sport has struggled enough already. Right, and I don't know about you guys, but I feel like, if the season were to start at some point, I think players and the fans, not just not the owners, but the players and fans, would just be glad to have something to look forward to. We'll just look forward to even if it's the Orioles and you know the Marlins, people would be excited to see that just so they can have baseball again, some semblance of normalcy in this time of really, really, really uncertainty. Do you guys have anything else to add? I, I think it's going to be interesting how this unfolds. So, I mean, I'm just going to keep my eyes glued. Yeah, I'm, I'm not interested because, you know, last last week I was all in for they're the league that can do it. And now it's like it might not even happen. So we'll see. All right. And speaking of things that we will see, just I want to touch into some quick hitters before we move on to the video game portion of the podcast. The MLS might be returning on June 24th in Orlando, and the WNBA might have the season in one location as well. They're thinking about having it in Las Vegas for one, so those are a few things that 
you should look out for if you're into that kind of thing. So any thoughts um, on those? I mean, just a little bit minor correction. They actually, the players in the, in the league, you know, they finalized the agreement today. So mm. the tournament is indeed is going to happen. See, of all things, soccer, the once upon a time, the most anti-American sport, sport ever, the one Americans found boring, is suddenly they're getting their shit together while baseball is not. So I'm excited for this to happen. It's, I mean, it's, we don't really know the details yet, but it's, it's going to happen in Orlando. So, I mean, I, I miss seeing my LAFC play, my black and gold kick a ball around. And basketball is back. Soccer's back. I'm glad to have sports back. And the growth of soccer is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And it's, it gets, it keeps getting more exciting every year. I was excited for WNBA, in all honesty. Uh, last season, I watched more WNBA games than I did in my whole life. And it's, it was only like five to seven games, but I watched them and I was excited to see, um, and I'm still excited to see Sabrina. Can't pronounce her last name. First overall pick. You guys know who I'm talking about. From Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, I hope that a WNBA season comes back. I'm I'm supporting and I'm going to watch more games, of course, to see my favorite WNBA player, Candace Parker. Whew. But yeah, so mm-hmm. can't wait to hear and see. Yeah, and just a quick note on Sabrina. I actually watched her play. She's damn good. Absolutely. She is very good. She played against USC, and the first quarter, she wasn't really doing much. She was just letting the game come to her. But then the second, third, and fourth quarter, she just – she her – how do I put this? Her feel for the game is so different from everyone else because you it, – it, It's just natural, you know? Some some people will, like it's, – it's, it just comes naturally to them. Yeah, it's like she was playing in slow motion – just seeing how everything was going, reading and reacting perfectly. And she just saw the game so easily. So I'm really excited to see what she does in the WNBA. So Free flowing does everything you need on the court. Absolutely. Yeah. And with that, it's time to switch over to... The video game portion of the podcast. And guys, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but... Because of everything that's going on, Sony actually postponed their PlayStation 5 event that was scheduled for June 4th. Do you guys have any any thoughts about that or I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not shocked. I mean, people kind of well, I don't know if they've forgotten, but like people like need to realize once this crisis is over, we we still have one other crisis and that's the economy. And it, I mean, people are just not going to have spending power once this crisis is over. So it doesn't surprise me that PlayStation is not you know, selling their product yet. I mean, I know this is kind of unrelated, but I kind of hope that, you know, Stadia gets better because I actually think that could be the future of gaming. I'm not surprised either. I haven't been paying too much attention to it because I'm not the type of person that buys the new next gen systems as soon as they come out. Anyways, I'm more excited and paying attention towards the games that are still coming out this year. And I'm my fingers crossed that they are because we've been having a lot of disappointment as far as pushing the video games back. So, yeah, last of us too. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's June nineteenth, man. Two more weeks. Two I more mean, weeks. Fingers crossed. I I honestly think these companies gotta live like let these consoles live a little bit. And that I think the like you know the previous generation ended way too soon. I think they should have waited a year or two to let you know to let to let it breathe a little bit and let people enjoy their PS threes like for like one last time. And then that that way they can feel okay. We're ready to move on to the next console. I think that argument should should be for this one especially because uh, this generation. Speaking speaking of this generation, PS4, Xbox One's graphics are are pretty great. These are the greatest graphics we have ever seen. And as far as the the quality of the video games we're getting is is not too bad aside from uh, 2K. But um, <laughs> I'll get to that later. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, let these systems live. I mean, they're expensive as fuck. I'm sorry if we keep cussing, but and and they're still bringing joy. It's bringing enjoyment for us. I mean, the video games are still like piggybacking off of the online gameplay. Uh, hints at GTA Five, where they're able to continue to have us engaged and excited for gameplay. So why create a whole new system when you're making so much money off of this gen? Yeah, and I just wanna just wanna add on to that with regards to you know PlayStation Five and Xbox One. Has there been any memorable releases, at least be it exclusives or otherwise, have there been any 
games that really stood out to you this generation? I'm going to be honest with you, Jared. I could be wrong. I'm not the biggest gaming expert, even though I wish I was. Personally, out of maybe God of War? Yes. I, not, cause it, I, I honestly don't think they were that memorable. Oh, I take my agreement back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there were good games. There were good games. I feel like we're, we, we want more. And I just feel like they... I wouldn't say memorable because we're older now. Like, it's different how we are, are taking in games. I know The Last of Us was on the uh, PlayStation 3 generation. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of piggybacking that over to PlayStation 4 because I played it on the PlayStation 4 two, three times as well. But I feel like I, I'm just an advocate for PlayStation exclusives. I, I was on Xbox One before I was on PlayStation 4. I just got my PlayStation 4 two years ago. So I'm, I enjoy the, the PlayStation exclusives as far as the, the storyline and uh, I feel like God of War, the newest one that came out, the edition that came out in 2018, was an amazing, terrific game. I enjoyed the storyline, the the side quest, the the character de- development, the creativity of the game, how you can take on enemies, and I feel like that was a great game. I feel like Amazing Spider-Man was a great game as well. So, I mean, that's just a small sample size of the 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 amount of games that they produced during this uh, generation. I I just want to say, Jarrell, I did forget Spider-Man. That is a classic. That is a classic that is to be remembered forever and i can't wait for the avengers game because Absolutely. i know i will be mine yeah and uh, ghost of hiroshima shishima shishimo whatever <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yeah. that comes out that comes out next month uh, july i don't remember the date but that comes out next month as well so we got last of us two this month and the ghost of jerry ghosts of shishima there we go ghosts i don't know what i what i was thinking of but yeah next month so two good games coming out in the next two months be on the lookout for those. July 17th. I will say this, though. like I don't think there are as many classics in this era than the previous two eras. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And one of, the, one of the games that I want to talk about, if you, if you don't mind just letting me rant on for a little bit, one of the games that we should not consider a classic anymore. The once 2K. grand king of basketball? Yep. 2K. Absolute. Oh, my goodness, ass. man. Yeah, it's okay. So, okay, where do I begin? The online <laughs> modes, I mean, I'm pretty sure people have talked about this ad nauseum, right? But, like, oh, my God, the two, the online modes, the neighborhood, the wreck, you got to do better, man. If I spend, you know, VC, not actual cash, but VC on improving an attribute, that attribute should carry over to whatever facet of the game I'm playing, be it my career, being on the in the park, playing Pro-Am games, or playing at the rec. But for reasons unknown, if you have my character, for example, has a high 90s attribute rating when it comes to three-point shooting, for reasons unknown to me, I will go one for nine from three-point land with nary a person around me. And the game, even with the badges being silver, bronze, whatever it may be, the game doesn't recognize that the badges are supposed to do something, which annoys the ever-living hell out of me because what's the point of grinding and doing all these things to make your character better if when you go play you know, at another place, not, not including my career games, if what's the point of playing those games if, you're, if your guy is just going to be ass? Like, I don't understand that. Why would... Oh, I mean, I, this is this is why like EA needs to people need to hope EA makes finally makes a good basketball game in in forever because like two K is suffering from a lack of competition. The problem with the basketball video game market is ter- technically is like there's there's the two like Take Two doesn't have an exclusive um, rights deal like you know Madden. There, there's like two K needs a competitor to keep it keep it on its you know keep it on edge. Absolutely. And to piggyback off of what Jared was saying as far as the gameplay, it's just crazy. I had to touch up on it. Like you said, you're not competing if you don't have these badges. And the game relies heavy on the badges. Yet, like he said, the bad, like Jared said, the badges don't they aren't recognized, especially when you you use them in conjunction with each other. So, say for instance, I have a, a corner specialist, and I have catch and shoot, and I have range extender. So if I'm shooting the ball from the corner off of a pass from Chris Paul who has dimer and I have catch and shoot and I pull up and the, the shot is slightly off. I still feel maybe, maybe three, three out of five, two out of five times I should be able to hit that shot because of the badges I have 
as well as the pass I got from a pers- a, a player that uh, that has the dimer badge. Yet 2K doesn't acknowledge that you you missed the shot four or five times. If you even get that uh, that many opportunities playing online, because motherfuckers never want to pass the ball to you after you miss your first shot. Now you're over here yeah. frustrated because you just spent sixty dollars on this bullshit ass game, as well as sixty hours on this game grinding on your character, and you can't compete because people just want to play 2K all day and. and Ah, okay, I, I digress. But anyways, yes, Daniel, I agree with you. EA Sports needs to come out and, and challenge these mofos because wait, we're, this is, we're getting tired of this, man. I want to be able to enjoy basketball, especially during the time when we don't have basketball right now. 2K was supposed to be that, and 2K is just it's trash. It's trash. It's garbage. I'm I mean, still playing, though. But like, remember when we were kids, like, 2K could not have done anything wrong. I mean, it just goes to show you, like, how mighty, like, you know, the great have fallen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, I, I got that saying wrong, but yes, get what I... <laughs> hey, I mean, 2K11 is still probably the best basketball game I've ever played. Not going to lie. It's been... It's that good. It's that good. I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed 2K17. I don't know if it's because Kobe was on it. I don't know if it's because the, the the my career experience. I don't know if it's because that was the, the best. That's the most success I've had with a my, my player on 2K17. So I enjoyed 2K17. That was the last one I, I really enjoyed. 2K18, 2019 I mean, ass, 2K20 ass. I mean, did you uh did any, did any of y'all like watch Chris Move on on YouTube back in the day? I mean Absolutely. That's that's who got me into playing 2K. 2K10, I remember my career. I mean, it's, I, it's, I, it, I haven't heard of it, him. It it goes to show you how like t- a lot of these sports styles over time, like they change and sometimes not it's not for the better. Yeah, no, it's not for the better and it's it's just one of those things, man. Like 2K, they have everything going for them, and they have no competition. All they have to do is give out a solid product every year, but they just can't seem to do that. And I'm the best way I could describe 2K is a tweet that I saw a few months ago. Someone said that people aren't playing 2K because they like 2K. People are playing 2K because they love basketball. And I agree. Yep. Yeah. That's the best way to put it because. You have no competition. You have all the money in the world because you keep making money from this game, even though it's absolute ass. But yet, here we are complaining about it. Like, what the hell? They're geniuses. They're focusing on... My bad for interrupting. They're focusing on, um, like you said, making the money. Like the My Team uh, card packs and whatnot. And they're feeding off of our competitiveness in, in wanting to be good at this fucking game that's trash. That that is where all their focus is at. Oh, you have to get this VC, and you're gonna take a long time grinding to get this VC. So it's gonna give you that incentive to wanting to spend. Okay, they have a deal, two dollars for a uh, uh, two five thousand VC. Oh, I might just do that because you want to get better, you want to compete, you want to be good at the game, even though it's trash. I I, I kind of want to bring this up. I know it's kind of a little bit off topic, but like we kind of I've kind of discussed like the need for these titles to have competition. Do you guys know like what sport like? Still to this day, like I think it's the only I think the only sport that produces good video game content the, these days, and that's soccer. Like the FIFA and F- the reason why FIFA is still, in my opinion, a solidly good game, it's it's because it has competition from pets. So like I mean, I kind of want to bring this point forward is that the only way Two K can get out of this slump is if someone like EA or another developer makes a, a worthy competitor. And that's the only way 2K can really start improving improving again. Yeah, and with the improvement, there has to be some sort of time to just reflect and just time to just sit back for a minute and just think about what they need to improve on. Because at the end of the day, they have all the money to make their game a better product. But it just seems like they're just rehashing things and they're just rehashing things over and over and over again. Yeah. They're not incentivized. Sorry to interrupt, but they're not incentivized you because they don't have a competent competitor. Yeah, and that ultimately brings me to my final point, which was the end of the day. And sadly, we have to wrap things up. It is one of those times, you know, the sun is slowly setting, and it's time to wrap up this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. Do you guys have anything to add? I mean, I wish the world the best, and... Hopefully by next week we live in a more calmer world. <laughs> that's that's all we can pray for. Yep. Keep on 
uh, moving, and I'm hoping that the people that have the platforms to uh, help become more vocal as leaders. And of course, I have, I'm going to say this, Black Lives Matter. I'm an advocate for it. And of course, this was a great episode. I enjoyed it and can't wait for episode three. Keeps getting better and better. All right. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter and at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram for all the news regarding the Shooting Bricks Podcast. And as always, I'm Jared Castillo. And I'm Daniel Wing. And with us as always, Jarrell Sales. And we will see you next week.